Well, hi, church. Good to be back with you again a couple of times this month or in the last month. Your loss is my gain, right? We're talking about an unmistakable relationship tonight. And the focus uh, you'll find if you open up your scriptures to where it says down on the bottom there, 1 Peter 3 and 1 to 7. I look around the room and I think, well... Maybe 20% this might be relevant for uh, if we're talking about marriage or um, 100% if we're actually talking about relationships. And I think, let's just go there, we'll we'll talk about relationships. Uh, But in particular, you can't avoid, uh, if we're going to be faithful to the scripture, that... uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about wives and it talks about husbands, so specifically about a marriage relationship. Um, Some of us in the room are not yet married. Uh, Some may have no intention ever of being married. Uh, Paul actually states that that's calling to be single. I've got uh, four children, three girls, one boy, one boy's married, three girls aren't. So uh, I'm in my family, I can testify that not everybody has to marry, right? Um, I've got some uncles and aunts that have never been married. But it's a relationship that, as uh, Peter speaks of it, I think is really relevant for all uh, our connecting relationships. I want to start with a story about two police officers who attend an accident. So um, we've got some police officers in our church and you attend an accident, you want to know uh, what witnesses may have been to the accident. Uh, They find that there's uh, four people in the car. There's mum and dad and two kids. Uh, Nobody else. And therefore, all of those four people need to be checked out and sent to the hospital Uh, for observation. So that had happened and then these officers are are checking inside the car and they see a monkey. So they ask the monkey, he's the only live witness, "Uh, Mr Monkey, uh, what did you see? Did you notice anything about the father? And the, the monkey goes like this, right? So drunk driving, not good. Notice anything about the mother? Both hands, right? So dad's doing this and mum's pointing out the error. What about the kids? Monkey goes like this, right? So they're fighting in the back seat. Okay, so we know all that we need to know. Dad's been drinking and driving. Mum's trying to point out the way of his error. Kids are just doing their own thing, fighting in the back. They walk away. One of the officers thinks, ah, no, one more question, goes back, So, monkey, what were you doing? (laughs) Relationships are all over us. There's lots of different ones. We get a lot of thoughts, impressions from Facebook. You wake up in the morning, maybe you've some married friends or some friends that are going out have been out that night. Uh, there's a, 
a feed, or a post on your feed, and you realise that maybe you're not married, but other people influence you. On our sitcoms, we have a lot of influences on what relationships are like and what's normal for people in different contexts. Uh, some of them are wholesome, many are not. The point is, any of us here who are married or have intentions of ever getting married, we're confronted with different examples of marriage relationships all around us, many of which are dysfunctional, unhealthy, far from ideal. So we need to know where to go to for marriage counsel. And therefore, we go to the scriptures. There's no better place to know what God's intentionality is for relationships than in the Bible. And to be faithful in our 1 Peter series, can't avoid actually chapter 3. And here we are. We can learn what it means to be a husband and a wife from chapter 3 of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, run there now. I want to say that as a believer, we need to stand on God's word. Uh, Christians, will we're, we're not absolved from all the influences that come to us, but how we balance the influences is our intentionality to know what God says about whatever subject. And here we find what God says, at least to a fairly specific level, on marriage relationship. And I'm kind of sorry if it's not your thing, but if we're going to do 1 Peter faithfully, we need to do 1 Peter 3 and verses 1 through 7. It teaches us that your love for your spouse should always reflect Christ's love for you. So a little bit of context, we need to understand, been talking about Peter for a while, but just want to share with you that he probably grew up along with uh, Andrew and Philip in a fishing town called Bethsaida. It's on the north side of Galilee, Lake Galilee. So a lot of Jesus' teachings are around Capernaum uh, on the other side of the lake to where Peter lived, but the lake is not that big in context. So uh, Peter understands uh, the culture of what it is to live in Galilee. Fishing village. Pretty clear that these guys were professional fishermen. Uh, we get that from a, a lot of the Matthew, Mark, Luke and John gospel account. And to cut to the chase, therefore, Peter's a pretty tough, hard, blue-collared fisherman. He's a tough dude. So his view on the world is through the lens of what it is to be a blue-collar worker. He gets up early in the morning, he goes to bed late at night, in between he works and eats. So that's, that's what his life has been. And this tough, hardened dude who knew what it was to get his hands really dirty was transformed by the love of Jesus Christ and forgiveness and grace. So he's, first of all, a bloke, and then he's transformed by grace. 
And he wrote this letter to other persecuted Christians who were scattered in various parts of the Roman Empire. So in 1 Peter 3 and 1 to 6, in this letter, uh, it reminds these Christians to live every moment of every day with hope in God. You need to have your hope and your precious desires grounded in Jesus Christ. That's Peter's whole expression because it's the only hope that people in this century had and I don't believe that's changed. So for us, our relationships need to be grounded firstly in the person of Jesus. We heard from Pastor Andrew last week that Peter teaches a fair bit about submission and if you haven't caught up with that, just zip back into the website and uh, have a look at that message from last week on submission. Essentially, Peter is continuing this theme of submission. But in chapter 3, he applies it directly to marriage. So in the first, first um, seven verses of chapter 3, which is taking our attention for tonight, we pick up verse 1 where it says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. Here's the first thing I want to say. A Jesus-following wife reflects love by her submission. Some wives could take offence at this straight talking by Peter, but um, it's in the Bible. It's pretty direct. So if it's in the Bible, it's true and encouragingly useful, and that's what I desire to prove as we run through the next verses. Remember that this passage of submission in marriage is part of a larger context of Peter's teaching about submission in all areas of Christian life. So before anyone gets tempted to reject it, need to explore it. I know that in our world, there's a whole lot of baggage that comes with the term submission. Um, I know that just full well. So I'm keen to, keen to make some clear definitions. If you're a person who would cringe when you hear the word submission, you might find this verse a little difficult. And I'm going to say that's okay, but I want to encourage you to take it as it's written because I, I feel like it's important to say that your difficulty is not with the scripture, it's with the way it's been interpreted for many, many, many centuries. And it's a difficulty with those who've abused this passage and others like it to make it say something that it was never intended to say. Part of understanding what submission is, I want to clarify by saying what it is not. So let me give you a few things. Here's the first one. Submission does not mean putting your husband before Jesus. The whole context surrounding the passage assumes that your relationship to God takes priority over all human relationships, including your spouse. So you're a follower of Jesus first, before and above anything else. Here's the next one. 
It doesn't mean agreeing with everything your husband says. Now, this morning, people just started laughing <laughs> because the whole idea of um, wives agreeing with their husbands is a foreign idea to most people who are married. It doesn't mean that you have to agree on everything. Here's the third one. It does not mean you're in any way less intelligent uh, or any way have less capacity or you can't influence your husband to live differently. In fact, verse 3 is really clear. Uh, the Christian wife who's married to a non-Christian husband is shown to have greater spiritual insight than he does. Uh, if, if you marry and then the wife is transformed by the gospel, becomes a Christian, uh, she has greater influence over her husband. And fourth, it doesn't mean being fearful or timid. I just want to extrapolate this a little. There is no place for fear in a godly relationship. Peter's point is that submission is free. The Christian woman is a free woman. Uh, when wives submit to their husband, they do it in freedom, not out of fear. And every woman should know that there is never a time when it's right to submit herself to any kind of abuse. Never. And if you're in an abusive relationship, I'd ask you to reach out, talk to someone immediately, as soon as you get the opportunity. Abuse is never right or normal, never godly, never has been. Don't think for a second that in order to be submissive, you need to tolerate abuse. That's a lie. Here's the fifth thing. It does not mean inequality. This command for a wife to be submissive to her husband doesn't imply that the wife is inferior in any way to her husband. We're equally created in God's image. And I find it, it's helpful for me when we talked about in the, um, in the morning, did we do it in the evening, the Trinity series? I think we did that only in the morning. Yeah. So we talked about the Trinity uh, Trinity being Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And here's a question for those of us who are theologically minded. Is there any inequality in the Trinity? Is there inequality between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Happy for you to answer that now. Any in inequality? No. Uh, in fact, we would believe, we do believe, that God is one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So one God in three persons. Agreed? On the same track? But there are several places in the scripture where we see Jesus submitting to the Father. And it's a beautiful example of the submission that's talked about here by Peter. That Jesus doesn't feel in any way inferior when he is able to submit to the Father. And the reason for that is they have different roles. There's different roles in expression. Uh, the Father sends the Son, Jesus. Jesus sends the Spirit, and the Spirit, in the missional aspect, sends the people of God, sends us, true? Father sends the Son, Son sends the Spirit, the Spirit sends us. So the interactions have a different role that they play. And so it is with a husband and wife and 
if that's applicable, the children, there are different roles within the family. Society, when this was written, uh, actually put women down really, really seriously. And you have to understand that Peter is fully aware of that as he writes this. So whilst society then and often now is wrong in secluding or segregating and across cultures in the world we see that happening still it is unbiblical and therefore unacceptable but for the women that were first reading this the first audience of this had zero say in their household in their culture they weren't allowed to vote or teach they were by obligation in submission to their husbands so I think it begs the question, um, why does Peter say this? If the women were already in submission to their husbands, why is Peter telling them to submit? There's a lot in that question. Because in the original language, the command to be subject or be submissive literally means to place yourself in submission. So when Peter is saying that, Wives, now you are given a voluntary choice, an act of will, rather than a legal requirement. And I believe what Peter's doing here is he's making decision makers out of people, out of those, the women in society, the Christian women, who were forbidden to make decisions. He's giving them freedom. He's opening wide a door to relationship and in essence explaining the powerful role of submission in a marriage relationship. Nothing inferior. The spirit of humility by choice. For the wife, submission is an attitude where she says to her husband, I actually want you, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. Now, obviously, this is an ideal, right? and a biblical teaching. And it doesn't always kind of roll out this way. But it's a beautiful and an honourable thing that Peter is introducing here. Beautiful thing that he says. And even applicable to those women who are married to non-Christian husbands. For it says, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the contact of their wives. Beautiful thing to know that we can share Jesus, we can show Jesus, we can be Jesus with skin on to others in all kinds of relationships simply by the way that we live. And uh, in the context of Peter's writing, wives, you can win your husbands simply by the choices and the way that you live. Exactly what Peter is suggesting back in chapter 2 and verse 12, where he says, keep your conduct honourable so that when unbelievers, when they speak against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Uh, here's a little take on Northreach's mission statement. Northreach wants to be 
a kingdom-minded church with a gospel-centric lifestyle. It will achieve that when the people who call Northreach their spiritual home choose to follow Jesus and follow the word of God as closely as they can. Here's a, another thing that I want to say. A Christ-like wife reflects love by her lifestyle. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, your purity and your reverence, all Christians are on this path, including wives. And when Peter says reverence, he's not talking about a woman's respect for her husband. Uh, he's, he's not um, talking about her reverence for her husband. Paul does deal with that. Uh, later in his letter to the Ephesians. But when we read this here in 1 Peter, reverence, the translation of that phrase is actually fear. And a literal translation would be as they observe your pure conduct in fear. And it's not talking about fear directed towards the husband, it's the holy fear that we have in the personality of God. Uh, there's a, a a terminology that goes like this, fear God and know him. And that's like a righteous, holy fear. It's not a fear of trembling uh, and being concerned. It's a, uh, how the Bible expresses it, it's a, a fear of reverence. It's coming with an attitude that you want to give yourself wholly to the person of God. So to shortcut it and get to the point, all good relationships are going to be built on a level of, of reverence for God and respect for others. I don't want to ignore uh, verses 3 and 4, so I want to go there now. A brief look. It's translated this way in the um, English Standard Version. I'll read it out. It'll be different from what you see, and, and you can kind of work through where the differences are in translation. But it says in the ESV, do not let your adorning be external. He's still talking to wives, the braiding of your hair and putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious or as you see it, of great worth in God's sight. Um, news, news break. Apparently, women in the first century were interested in fashion. And it wasn't uncommon for first century women to compete against each other in dress and hairstyle. It wasn't unusual for them to frock up get out in jewellery and expensive clothes. And Peter encourages women to stop putting all their attention and value on the external. So uh, some would, you know, kind of piously get up and say, Peter's knocking all makeup and all, you know, the idea of dressing up. I don't see that. I think in the context, he's saying your value is not there. Your value is in what is inside of you. Not saying don't altogether, but your identity as a woman and as a wife is internal. He's not forbidding women to wear jewellery, nice clothing, 
obviously a good thing, but he's warning against making these external temporary things the source of beauty. I think that's why Peter says in verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, the inner self, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious and of great worth. External beauty is going to perish. Internal beauty, imperishable. And it's your inner person that God considers the most valuable. Very, very strong biblical understanding that God looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance. And blokes, men, some of you husbands, many more of you aspiring to be a husband, we're not off the hook. I think um, this is the extreme example of less is more, right? You get six verses for the ladies and then this one. Likewise, husbands, in verse 7, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker partner or vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. A husband reflects love by living with his wife. Now, I want to be clear, we're not talking about sharing the same address. Here's my question uh, for the husbands in the room. Do you live with her? Are you doing life with her? Because when you're physically home with your wife, are you present with her? Does she have your attention? Because, guys, your wife is your friendship priority. Your wife is your partnership priority. Your wife must be your single female priority. Communicate with her. One survey reveals that the average husband and wife have 37 minutes a week together in actual communication. So when she is talking, listen. Or else. That's my experience. I kind of thought, um, I did this this morning, so we're, we're kind of tracking the same way as we did this morning. But I thought, we've got to picture this, literally. So I went looking for some journal entries, right? And I found a wife's journal that goes exactly like this. Tonight, my husband was acting weird. We'd made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. Conversation wasn't flowing. So I suggested that we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. He agreed, but he didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said, nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. And he said he wasn't upset, that it had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. So on the way home, I told him that I loved him. He smiled a little and kept driving. And when we got home, he just sat there quietly and watched TV. And he continued to seem distant and absent. And finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. And after 15 minutes, he came to bed. But I still felt that he was distracted and his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I don't know what to do. 
his journal entry. Same day. Rough day, boat wouldn't start, can't figure it out. <laughs> True story, yeah? So boys, we've got to work on it. It's called talking. Husbands and future husbands, be intentional with spending time with your wife, communicating with her, doing life with her, and honour her by you actually being physical with her, present. And love your wife by honouring her intellectually. Now, this is a translation uh, in the NIV. It says, consider it. Uh, but I'll read it out again in the ESV. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The phrase, in an understanding way, or as I said, translated in the NIV up there as considerate, literally means according to knowledge. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge. Know her. Understand her. Peter's saying, men, honour your wife intellectually. Have knowledge of her and consider her. Know and understand your wife's feelings, needs, fears and hopes, especially her hopes and expectations, sharing meaningfully when you get the opportunity to do so. Uh, and here, husbands reflect love by honouring your wife emotionally. Now, this is where I've written on my notes here, be very careful, Gary. Uh, when he says that women are the weaker partner, we've already dealt with equality. Nothing unequal between men and women, between a husband and a wife. But I believe he is saying that in general, men are larger and stronger than women. And women expect their men to be men. Understand that Peter is going fairly deep with this one and we need to really grasp what it means to show honour to our wives as the weaker partner. It means that you never, never take advantage of her. You show your wife honour and it means that you'll treat her like an irreplaceable, beautiful, expensive, beautiful and fragile person of beauty. You will totally appreciate her in which in which is stored a most precious treasure for a husband of 41 years or so my love my life has been a lot of listening. Hearing too. 
because it's been the most incredible privilege to listen to that wisdom, that insight, to see the beauty, to hear the beauty, to be immersed in the beauty of a relationship that just keeps on giving. But it's an investment to show honour to your wife as the weaker vessel means that you will cherish her as the gift that God has given. And for those of you in the room who are yet to be married, keep praying. That's the gift that God wants to give. Wives, for you to have a husband who will treat you like Peter says. And for husbands... And uh, this is not scriptural, this is preacher's licence for husbands that you actually earn the submission. That you treat your wife in such a way that she does not struggle with submission. God's word calls you to honour your wife in your words, in your praise of her, in your encouragement, that you'll treat her with significance, that you esteem her, and appreciate her. Here's how I'd summarise it. You should have an inclination to bless her more than you feel capable of. You like that? It should be the desire in your heart of hearts to bless your wife more than you feel capable of. Your words and your actions will convince her you're absolutely crazy about her and only want what's best for her. And here's the final one. Reflect Christ in your marriage by honouring your wife spiritually. Peter's conclusion here is a serious warning to husbands. If you don't listen to God's command to love and honour your wife, God will not listen to your prayers. Wow. Wow. It's proof of a relationship priority. God first, yeah, and your spouse next. And that relationship within marriage is that important. So guys, you need to hear this. God will interrupt his relationship with you when you aren't loving your wife appropriately. Pretty strong. So don't think for one second that you can come before God in prayer when you haven't loved your wife as Christ has loved the church. I see here also that Peter has an assumption. It's an important assumption. His assumption is that husbands are praying. You see that? And here's our conclusion. Your love for your spouse should always reflect Christ's love for you. So for the women, whatever God has done for you through Jesus, go and do for your husband. And likewise for the men, whatever God has done for you through Jesus, do for your wife. Love your spouse the way God through Christ loves you. Let's come to prayer. I want to ask uh, if the band can come up. But um, if the rest of us would stand, we're, we're going to 
say a prayer together. Invite you, obviously, to speak this out. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, I'm not telling you that you have to, um, but I think this is this would be a nice way for us to conclude at least the, the sermon part, and then we'll continue to worship with this song. But let's allow God to rest his glory in every area of our, our lives, and particularly in our relationships. So can we say this together? Lord God, we thank you for the great blessing of your love and grace. Please give us grace to love each other in the way that you teach. And we know this love will brighten lives everywhere. For your glory we pray. Amen.